Bring it in. Read option back here on a Friday. Happy Friday to all of our listeners or whenever you're choosing to listen. Welcome back. College football preview continues. And we have the rare uh, but always exciting Jeff and Vito pod, which we haven't had yeah, one yeah. in a while. I think it's been since the spring. I think we did one together. It's been a while. I don't think we think did so. one all summer. Probably not. No, this is uh, it's exciting, especially with the topics we got today and uh, man, it's, it's good to, it's good to, you know, go back and forth here. So this will be fun. Yeah. I, I always love when it's just us. I love Scotty and Scotty and I do a ton of me and him pods. Cause you're always traveling and I love when mm-hmm. we're all together. And I think every time it is you and me, I say this, but I just, I like having, you know, like Tuesday's pod was a solo pod. And so I like having different versions of the pod, you know, it keeps us fresh. It keeps us on our toes give something a little bit different to the listeners every single week. So it's, it's good stuff. I'm excited for it. Um, the topic today, as you alluded to, we are breaking down the ACC. So uh, I know Scotty and all Scotty's family on out in the West coast. Uh, I know he wanted to be around for the PAC 12. So next Friday, a week from when this pod is out, will be big 12 with uh, my man, Josh neighbors. And then we will do the PAC 12 with the three of us. And we'll also do our picks for week one in college football next week. However, we are also going to wrap up the pod today with our picks for week zero because veto football actually comes back. There is football that actually matters from this weekend until February. There will be football every single oh, weekend. I can't wait. I can't I'm just wait. so excited. My bank account is furious. It's just going to be so much fun starting to like seriously just starting to watch football i mean i I know you're the same way watching some preseason and just watching the sport like just the love of the sport is 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 just so great to see the strategy the players people pop out new freshmen coming in these 18 year old kids that are going to light up you know in the season and we have some great matchups coming up even this week so it doesn't it's not like week zero means nothing we're getting an actual real dose of some decent teams here coming in and it's going to be fun. There, there's some cool programs that are they're going to match up here that that actually matter. So uh, well, I'm excited to get into it. Do they matter? <laughs> I, well, I'll say this: they're 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 big five conferences. You know, they're uh, power five conferences, but they're programs. Right? I mean, let's talk about the first game just quickly. Put a little preview. We're talking about the Big Ten West and what's going to happen there. We yeah. talked about a couple of these teams in the preview multiple we all said a couple of these different teams that we mentioned they could be the bottom sometimes they're the top of the big 10 west there's all these different rotations between northwestern and nebraska for sure um, it's going to be so fun to see how these teams land because the big 10 west is all these question marks yeah. what are we going to see and is this the beginning of the end for scott frost i mean the, the biggest game yeah. will be it's northwestern and nebraska but they're playing in ireland which objectively is cool so to see them playing yeah. in ireland is gonna be great it's also a really nice like easing into football because if you told me you know week nine we have northwestern nebraska that's not making one of my three tvs you know like that's like that's one that like maybe if the line is crazy you throw a couple shekels on right and then you kind of go from there uh but you know northwestern's been relevant for sure in the last couple years i'm not you know we we did our big 10 preview a few weeks ago so i'm excited to see what we you know what kind of comes of of pat fitzgerald which whenever Mm -hmm. whenever you you know 
you count him out and you count out that team. They always come rearing that, you know, purple or purple and, and silver head and they end up being a relatively good team. Either way, it's, it's just a great ease into it, right? Because it's like this yeah. game means so much now because we haven't had football. Uh, and there are some other fun games. Uh, Vanderbilt's going out to Hawaii, uh, which right now Vanderbilt is only a six and a half point favorite, which is yeah. it, it's pretty wild to think. Uh, and then you have Wyoming at Illinois. So you get three Big Ten West schools playing. Um, and then, you know, you get one SEC school technically. And then you have we have four other group of five uh, matchups, UConn at Utah State, Charlotte at FAU, North Texas at UTEP, and, and Nevada my f- at New go Mexico ahead. State. No, go I'm ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was saying don't see from my 49ers down there at, or the 89ers down in Charlotte. I, I love yeah. uh, love that team. They've made me a lot of money in the past. So if you're betting, uh, if you're a betting fan out there, take a look at Charlotte. They're uh, they're they're a pretty solid squad usually and and end up covering a lot. So I have, uh, which to that point, we are going to pick the games at the end of this pod. We're also going to kind of start to get ready. You know, we're going to talk a little bit of strategy when it comes to how we both like to bet in college football, uh, because college football gambling is a lot different than gambling on the NFL. But uh, I think it's actually, I don't say easier because it's gambling. So nothing's ever easier, but there are, there are times where you can strike, right? It just takes a little bit of homework uh, and, and we'll get into that. So Charlotte's an interesting school because my senior year at JMU, uh, the head coach is Mike Houston, who's now the head coach mm-hmm. at ECU. And sh- he was originally going to go. Uh, there was a report that came out right before the national championship game when they were playing North Dakota State that he was going to be uh, leaving for the Charlotte job. And it totally just took over and it became this massive distraction to the team and the fans and everyone else. So uh, you have a soft spot for Charlotte. I personally do not. Charlotte, I think, might have <laughs> played a hand in JMU losing a national championship my senior year. Um, All right, let's jump into the ACC. Let's do it. Important note here regarding the ACC. This is the last season where we have the Coastal and the Atlantic Divisions. They will be getting rid of the divisions in uh, the ACC. After this season starting in 2023, they'll go to that 3-5-5 model where you'll play, Mm -hmm. you know, five teams from what was the Atlantic and five teams from the Coastal plus your three non-conference games. Uh, I prefer that personally. Um, I think it's been fantastic in the Big Ten, uh, the Big Twelve. I hope one day that the Big Ten gets to that level. And I would think, and I think we've actually talked about this before. I think as Penn State fans, you'd rather have that, right? Because yeah, you might lose some some rivalries. You're not going to play Michigan every single year, but you also don't have to play Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State every single year either. And you get to avoid some of that daunting. Uh, that daunting schedule that you see in the big 10 East and the coastal is one of my favorite divisions in college football. However, and one thing that makes me sad about them losing this is because they are like the NFC East and that no team has consecutively won the coastal for the last seven seasons. And just so people understand, like, first of all, that's insane in college. Cause usually you get a great quarterback for two, three years. You can win a couple of times, but mm-hmm. just, just to run down the coastal, right. We're talking Pitt, Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia, UNC, Georgia Tech, and Duke. And, and when you're talking about those teams, as I'm saying those, you're like, oh, yeah, Georgia Tech, that triple option. Duke's been good. Oh, North Carolina had a good year. Tech's been good. Miami's obviously good. Pitt's had some good years. Yes, every single time you look at some of these teams, they've all had high points in the last decade. Even Virginia, who maybe hasn't had as high points, they there was a year, I think it was 2011, where they had two top five 
players in the country commit. Like they've gotten some great recruits. So Definitely. you know, when you look at that coastal division, you're right. That that is a sleeping, uh, um, I would just say, juggernaut of a of a conference there or a, a you know a side there because it's just like that NFC East where everyone beats each other up in the regular season. And look at what happens in the NFL. The NFC East winner usually wins a playoff game at least once because they go out there and, and crush it. Now the only problem is Clemson's in the Atlantic, but we'll get, we'll get into this a little bit more. Yeah. And so as long as Pitt doesn't win, uh, doesn't win the coastal, that, that tradition mm-hmm. will continue, but Pitt should be good, but they got a lot of stuff they got to replace. One um, other thing I, I found interesting, Jeff, when I was looking up stuff for this, this is the ACC is one of the only divisions or one of the only conferences, I'm sorry, where after 2023, in 2024 everyone is still planning to be in the ACC like this is the last yeah. conference that hasn't started talking about these teams are leaving these teams are joining so you know is that going to continue we will find out but so it's know, a it's a think? it's a wild deal so a couple of years ago uh when you know different conferences were jumping at tv money uh the ACC made a deal with ESPN on a 25 year long contract that uh, to this point, the lawyers of teams in the ACC uh, and the ACC league have not been able to figure out how to get out of. Um, with that came the ACC network, and they thought very short term about this, which was we need the money. We need a big contract. We want to be a part of ESPN for a long time. And they also got their own network, which seemed appealing. However, we've seen schools do that in the past where or conferences do that in the past where it kind of comes around to bite you in the ass a little bit. And now we're looking at uh, with, with the ACC, if there is a super conference that comes in the next couple of years, unless they figure out a way out, we're talking about schools like Clemson, obviously, Florida State, uh, Miami, big name schools who would not be invited to the party, would not be find even have a pathway to the party. And on top of that, too, the SEC and the Big Ten, both of them for their next TV contracts are going to want to get on to uh, somewhere in North Carolina and Virginia, which are two states that they've never been able to crack. And every time you add new new states to your conference, the TV money goes up because that's a new state where the SEC network and the Big Ten network become a part of the regular package. And this had this is why Maryland left the ACC to join the Big Ten and why Rutgers ended up joining the Big Ten, right. because that was two huge new markets. And it netted both the conference and the schools themselves millions and millions of dollars. Because literally, I think in the Big Ten's case, it literally was like one extra dollar per household is what got charged for the cable. Um, So when you add all of the state of Maryland (laughs) and all of the state of New Jersey and add one extra dollar a piece or whatever, just to have the Big Ten network, and that's just one aspect of it, that's before you get into sponsorships and, and commercials and all the other shit that goes into it they end up making a ton of money. Um, So you know that the SEC and the Big Ten, like the UVA feels like they'll be in the Big Ten if they're able to ever get out of this. Uh, But those are some some big-name schools, particularly Clemson, Florida State, Miami, who absolutely should be invited to this Super League, this Super Conference teams based off of reputation, history, tradition, and success. Um, They both need to be in there. So they got to figure out a way to get out of it. For the diehard old school college football fans, you might look at it as a, hey, look, look at the ACC. They're still sticking around. And it's like, yeah, but they don't really have a choice either. 
Exactly. No, I, I agree with what you said there. And I think there are some interesting teams. Like I, I love Virginia tech and Pitt. I think, especially being a Penn state fan, um, those are the two schools, especially right around DC where you live, right? Like those are a lot of alumni go to DC or are from that, that DMV mm-hmm. area that go to those schools. So now th- this whole ACC is really the link between the SEC and the big 10. And to your point, it's right for the taking because you're not you're not grabbing ECU to your earlier point about that. No, you're not grabbing ECU to pull up. Um, but I will say this. You know, what's funny is I've been uh, I've been back on my NCAA football 14 grind. And I realigned conferences so much that I was looking at this and like these are who's in the ACC because I have like wild teams. But we'll get past that. Who do you want to start with here? Uh, well, on the ACC, there's one team and there's one yeah. program that's mattered in the ACC over the last decade, and that's Clemson. So we're all going to start with Clemson and Clemson's coming off their first really down year in seven years. Uh, they had won six straight Atlantic division titles in the ACC last year. That was uh, broken by of all people, Wake Forest, <laughs> right? If you had told me last year that Wake Forest was going to be, you know, if, if you had said oh. this six years ago, five, even like when Deshaun Watson, Hunter Renfro and those guys were at, were at Clemson, like, you know, the school that's going to dethrone Clemson from the yeah. Atlantic. <laughs> It's Wake Forest. Um, but that Wake Forest uh, team is really good, and we'll get to them in a little bit because they're a fascinating team, and they have some uh, issues going on with their program right now. Uh, but Clemson, they were such an interesting case study last year because I don't think they were as bad as people thought out. Remember, this team still won 10 games. They won 10-3 and three last year. Um, they started off with that massive game against Georgia. Right. And Clemson's defense last year was absolutely nasty. Like their defense other than Georgia was and Alabama was probably the third best defense in all of college football last year. And they really thought, all right, Trevor Lawrence is gone. DJ Uyunglele, which we saw him jump in and back in the 2020 season uh, or the, yeah, the 2020 season, he had those two games, including the game against Notre Dame that he threw for like five touchdowns and like 400 yards and everyone's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, like Clemson did it again and they ended up losing that game. But still, it was like this unbelievable game in Notre Dame. True freshman, five-star kid comes in, lights it up. Clemson's going to continue. He gets thrown out into the Wolves week one against this ridiculous all-time defense team in Georgia, which at the time we knew Georgia's defense was good. We didn't know how good they would ultimately end up yeah. being. And they didn't score a point. And the only touchdown scored in that game was a pick six thrown by Uwe Ungalolei. So it was kind of like whoever made the mistake first because Clemson's defense was so good and Georgia's defense was so good. And they never really got back on track after that. And I honestly think, especially when you're talking about a 19-year-old first year taking over the reins, the pressure. He Remember, he was in all the Dr. Pepper commercials last year. He had a huge NIL deal with Dr. Pepper, um, was all over the place and had such high expectations that he performed so badly, especially without realizing how good that defense was. I think it messed him up a little bit. And I think it yeah. kind of tanked the way the rest of his season went. I still think that DJ like can bounce back because the arm talent and the, the, the size and the athleticism and all that is staggering. Like, I don't think physically there's a more impressive looking quarterback than DJ Uyunglele, you know, at his size, yeah. like, you know, the old walking off the bus theory. Right. Yeah. The coaches back in the day, you'd always have your biggest and strongest. Your Jordan Davis looking guys would be the first ones that walk off the bus. So that way the other team would see them. Right. Like DJ Uengale walking off the bus and you're like, oh, yeah, that's their quarterback. 
Like there's nobody who looks as impressive as he does. Um, the defense lost some pieces, but they still should be really good. The other thing with Clemson last year, they had four freshman uh, offensive linemen. They were young at the offensive line position and really inexperienced. And now they bring back four of those guys. One of them left. Now they have four guys coming back. So the offensive line should be better. They lose Justin Ross, but they do still have, uh, you know, Will Shipley, who turned into a really good target for them. Uh, and they have a, uh, a, sorry, running back for them. Um, they have some pieces there and they still recruit at a really, really high level. The only question mark on the offense is, is DJ really like if DJ ends up struggling, they have a true freshman, Cade Klubnik, who was a top five quarterback prospect, five-star kid who, if he ends up coming in at some point, cause DJ just can't get there, then, you know, maybe they have one of those midseason runs. I think they're set up to be good this year, but it's important to note they lost both of their coordinators, Tony Elliott, who had been their offensive mm -hmm. coordinator for a, the last he was like co one of the co-offensive coordinators, basically the entire run at Clemson. He's now the UVA head coach. And then Brent Venables, who say what you will, but whatever. I know their defense has had a ton of talent on them. Venables was the reason that defense has been as good as it was. And so losing him to go be the head coach at Oklahoma and then also losing Tony Elliott in the same season, replaced with two guys who are in-house guys, two guys who learned from yeah. Venables and Tony Elliott. But you know, coordinators don't stay around top programs, right? We talk about no. this with Alabama all the time. And the fact that they were both there for six plus years and now they're gone, that's a huge hurdle. It is, especially when you have a quarterback, like you said, who, who I'm pretty sure, you know, as many interceptions as touchdown passes early on, he had nine of each, you know, for an offense that that was like really no fewer than 17 points per game. Like they they, they were not great on the offensive side. So does that benefit them? Maybe, but on the defensive side of your point, let, let me put it in perspective here. Clemson was eighth overall in terms of yards per game. We're talking, but teams in front of them are teams like Houston, Air Force, right? Teams that maybe didn't have the schedule they did. When you look at probably the power five programs, they're, they're number five. They're right up there. And behind like Oklahoma State and Georgia and Wisconsin, like we're talking about teams that have dominated defensively for years. And, yeah. you know, their, their recruiting has been elite to your point on the offense and defensive side, but if that line can come together, I think that's the key. If that offensive yeah. line comes together. The coordinator can have a simple but effective plan. They got to just get back to winning the ACC. And, and, you know, I think that when you have a team that has said so much success um, and you have a new quarterback coming in, a new line, it was a rebuilding year, but you got to understand a rebuilding year for Clemson is a lot different than even a, a very good program. You know, even yeah. some teams like Tennessee who get a lot of recruits, they, they it's very different. I, I expect this team to take a massive step up and uh, I, I'm really excited to see what this team does. I totally agree. The other piece about um, DJ, the quarterback, uh, I won't even try. I won't even try. You DJ Uyunglele. Thank you. I, I just, I don't have it. I don't know what I can, I can't, I don't have that pronunciation, but DJ, my guy, um, the, the thing about him, too, is that you know, he has the arm completely. His accuracy, though, he had the second lowest completion rate, um, you know, with in, in starting ACC quarterbacks. And, and I think what goes down to that is also, you know, he, he tried to force a lot, I think, down the field. And I think Clemson wanted him to, it seemed like, like the, or he, he took those chances. But what can he do in this year? We need to see that, like we always talk about, that Josh Allen step up. Let's get that completion percentage up. Yeah. We know you got the big arm, 
and he has all the tools, man. Uh, you don't need to prove that to us. We know it. You, you just got to take care of the, of the Ferrari, keep it in second or third gear. You don't need to rip right to five. You know yeah. what I mean? Let's just keep it going because to your point, this defense, even though they've had some grads, I think this defense is still a top 10, top five defense. I can I'll, take them all the way through. I'll say right now, I think there's a good chance they end up being the best defense in college football, even without Venable. Yeah. Their defensive line is absolutely ridiculous. Like they have, I think, five, four or five stars on the defensive line, and yeah. they have some younger guys coming in now. Uh, say, Brian, they might even have more. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian Breesy is one of the most fun defensive linemen to watch this year. Like that's a dude who – I think he, I think this will be his last year that before he's eligible for the draft, but whenever he does go out, he'll be a first round pick. Uh, Tyler Davis is a monster miles Murphy. So they have three dudes who could all be first or second day picks in the NFL draft. Uh, they have two really good up and coming line. Well, they have Trenton Simpson, who's a, a rising star at linebacker. They also have Jeremiah Trotter's son, who is going to be one of the uh, starting linebackers there as well. Nice. Um, stud safety and Andrew Makubu, um, Makuba, right. um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the biggest thing is like Venables was known for being the guy who like stole signs, right? Like he was amazing at stealing signs. And yeah. it, one of the interesting things where if you go back to the, uh, the first year, it was the year LSU won the national championship and Clemson played Ohio state in the semifinals and Clemson waxed them. And mm-hmm. one of the, and they like completely slowed down that defense. I think it was the Dwayne Haskins year. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting was the following year when they played in 2020, they played in the college football playoff, uh, the semifinals again. Ryan Day ran uh, no huddle with no signs, basically. Or sorry, wow. not no huddle. They huddled up for every single play. So there were no signs. There was oh, no okay. up-tempo. They, they made sure that there were no signs to be stolen at all. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to change up what we do because Venables is so ridiculously elite at being able to pick up signs. He just said, no, we're just not giving you signs at all. And that ended up working out really, really well for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, like you lose a guy like that, who obviously schematically is a genius, is a huge culture guy. And we're going to see the way he implements all that at Oklahoma. But that's a, that's a big piece to lose. And I, you can have all the talent yeah. in the world. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate if you don't have the coaches. Now, I, I like the fact that they I, didn't go out and bring in new coordinators from other places, that both new coordinators are going to stay, um, are, are guys who've been on the staff. Um, who's, it's Brandon Streeter as the offensive coordinator and Wes Godwin, who is the uh, new defensive uh, coordinator. So I don't know. I'm excited. I think Clemson's going to be really good. Right now, they're over under for win totals is at 10 and a half. Um, they don't have a particularly challenging schedule out of conference. They play Georgia Tech, F- uh, Furman, Louisiana Tech, um, and then their South Carolina rivalry that they play at the end of every right. year. So, um, and, and remember, they do have that Notre Dame game now. Yes, so that, and they're that playing at, at Notre Dame November yep. 5th. Uh, and Notre Dame's a huge question mark, which we probably should include them in here. Uh, I didn't even think about that. So maybe I didn't we'll think about that either. Maybe we'll mix in a little Notre Dame talk here at the end. Cause I guess they're kind of uh, ACC, but not really. Um, it's really going to come down to who is the other really good team in the Atlantic, right? Um, Wake Forest is not going to be as good as people thought. And we'll get to them in a little bit. Um, NC state is the team that I'm very, very high on. They do draw Miami. They draw Miami from cross divisional stuff, which a lot of people are high on Miami. 
Um, I think Clemson gets it done though. I think Clemson kind of bounces back. Um, they're either going to be a 10 and a half is a perfect line for them. Um, I'm going to say under, and I think they stay at 10 and three again this year, but if they went 11 and two or 12 and one, I wouldn't be super shocked either. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and take the over. And I think one, one thing you talked about how talent, you know, coaching matters sometimes more than talent here. Here's a stat I would love to throw out in 2016. When they won the national championship, they had four or five stars on the team. 2017, they had six. 2018, they won a natty again. They had eight. 2019, they had nine. 2020, they had 10. And this year, when you're looking at, and I don't know what's going on, 2021 here, uh, there's like a gap here. But all I know is that this year coming in, it looks like they have 11 on the team. And, and what's really important to your point is how you develop that. You got to get back to winning those natties and, and developing that. And I love the fact, to your point, that the coaches who are going to be calling the plays on offense and defense have known these recruits for their whole time at Clemson. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. And that's why I'm going to hit the over on, on that. All right. On the win total. I, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, I, I think that's very realistic. Uh, the only, the only team I see in the Atlantic that really challenges Clemson this year, I think will be Florida state. Now, Scotty, cause he's not here. He did want to send in that he's out on vacation. I hope he's having a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotty threw out there that he, he thinks that Louisville is the secret sneak dark horse here. Uh, that could come in, which I don't see at all. Scott Satterfield's on the hot seat. I, I'm not sure exactly where he's coming from on that, but hey, Scotty, do your thing, bud. Um, the team that I think is the only team that can really challenge Clemson is NC State. Uh, and there's a lot of good reasons for it. Dave Doran's a great head coach. I've said for a long time, he's the East Coast Kyle Whittingham, right? He's the guy, or even like Kirk Ferentz, like NC State is very much like one of those cyclical teams like Utah, like Iowa, like Wisconsin, we're just every couple of years, once the stars align and they have the right amount of upperclassmen and, and mix of younger guys where they, it all clicks and they end up playing, you know, having an incredible season. Um, they went nine and three last year. They bring back their starting quarterback, Devin Leary, who went 35 touchdowns to five interceptions. They have arguably the linebacker, the best linebacker duo in the country with Peyton Wilson and Drake Thomas. I'm sure Alabama fans would have something to say about that. Um, <laughs> They obviously lost Ikea Kunu, who that hurts their offensive line. Uh, and they also lost their top two rushers. But they also had the lowest yards per rush last year in the ACC at 3.3. So, honestly, it's hard to be worse than that, <laughs> right? Like, I yeah, think and- even, though the, and even though they did lose Ikea Kunu, the other four starting offensive linemen are all coming back. So, I was going to say, there's a lot of redshirt seniors on that line in, in NC State. And maybe we, we touch on them here because I, I agree. I think both on the offensive side and the, deep, the nose tackle, uh, Corey Durden, he's a redshirt senior. And, I, you know, everyone knows when it comes to a 3-4, man, that nose tackle is so important. Because um, to a big your point, dude. rush offense and rush defense is really what it comes down to a lot of times in college. And this team brings back 17 of their 22 starters. And one of them, yeah, is Iki Kunu, but I still think, I mean, and the quarterback position obviously being the most important there, and he's the most senior quarterback that they have in the, that the ACC has right now. Um, they have really solid wide receivers. Uh, they just bring back everybody. And the defense is bringing back, I think, 11 out of 12 starters. Um, most of the changes were on the offensive side. Uh, and on top of that, too, you have Tanner Engel, who's really good safety. He's an all ACC contender. Tyler Baker Williams is going to be a draft guy, um, probably second or third day 
pick for him. Uh, Shaheen Battle is another one. The winner of this division is probably going to come down to the game at Clemson October 1st um, because both have pretty easy out-of-conference schedules too. I mean, NC State plays Texas Tech, um, who I like Texas Tech, but they're going undergoing some changes in that program right now. And even though they have some nice paces or whatever, I think NC State's just a much better team. I believe NC State coming into this year, where are they ranked preseason? I think it's 16th. 14, oh, 13th, 13th, 13, 13 USA yeah. today. Yep. And, and to your point, I mean, Devin Leary, man, I think he's probably the best quarterback in, in the ACC, in my opinion. And he's in the conversation. I don't know if there's yeah. a clear cut one yet because there's not a whole lot of great quarterbacks. I, I would say if Sam Hartman was playing um, for Wake Forest, I would say it would be Sam Harton. But the thing about Devin Leary and NC State is, is like this, these teams just get forgotten about. You know, like that's the same thing with Utah. Like we forget about Utah until the end of the season. Then we look up and it's like, oh, wait, shit. Utah has a chance to win the Pac-12. Like Utah has a chance (laughs) to make the college football playoff. And like you never think about them. NC State could very realistically make the college football playoff this year. Even though that sounds kind of crazy, it's really not. If they if they run the table and lose one game, right, even if they they lose to Clemson and Clemson ends up pulling off, you know, pulling a second loss, um, they got a fantastic draw from the teams they're playing from the division, uh, or the coastal division, uh, they play tech. Um, who else from the coastal are they playing? Uh, Florida state, which will be an interesting game. So they have a, they got a pretty lucky draw from that side of it. Um, but I really like this NC state team. They breed offensive linemen there. So even, even though they lose icky, they still should be really, really good. The defense is going to be fantastic. And I just, I, I think they are going to be that perennially underrated team. They'll probably hang around at that 13th in the country spot for the first month of the season. And they go at ECU, uh, Charleston Southern, Texas Tech, and then UConn. That should be 4-0 before they end up playing Clemson. Now, they're not going to be tested much before they play Clemson. That's the one downside. But after that, it's home against Florida State, at Syracuse, home against Tech, home against Wake Forest, home against BC, at Louisville, at UNC. And then that UNC game might end up meaning something at the end too. But UNC is going through a ton of changes right now. Um, I don't know. I'm high on NC, on NC State. I think, honestly, I think they win the conference. They're my, they're my really? pick to win the conference this year. Uh, I think it's going to come down to that game, like you said, in Clemson, because it's, it's really – can Leary perform against that defense – and can their defense hold back whatever Clemson's going to throw at them? Now, again, Clemson did not have the most stellar offense last year, but what do those matchups look like? Because, man, they, again, like we were talking about the talent on Clemson, they got two five-star corners. You know, you're going to be careful when you're chucking the ball out there. So I I really, I love that matchup. I think the winner of that game wins the division. And uh, my bet's on Clemson, but what what is their over-under? Because it should be pretty high. Right now it's at eight and a half. Oh, dude, over. I Which mean, that's, is that's incredibly low for me. Um, I agree. I, I'm actually I, writing that down to bet on that. <laughs> I think ten. I think ten wins comfortably for this team. And again, if they get out and win a game at Clemson, because I, I weirdly enough, like yes, the defense is not going to be as good as Clemson's defense, but the offense should be significantly could be significantly better than Clemson's. Right. Like if Clemson ends up struggling offensively again and then they have to throw out a true freshman quarterback, which by the time that week five game rolls around, if DJ doesn't look good in those first four games, who knows? Right. Are you going to ride with yeah. him into the game that honestly might end up deciding the ACC overall? 
um, or at least the, the, the division. Um, yeah. I love NC state. I'm all in on the wolf pack. I'm going to hammer the over. And, and honestly, I would sprinkle some money on them to win the ACC. I don't know exactly what their odds are for him to, for them to win the ACC, but it's gotta be pretty good. If their win totals at eight and a half, I think there's some real yeah. value in ACC pulling that off uh, or NC state pulling that off. All right, let's go to the team that won this division a year ago. Wake Forest uh, alluded to uh, them a couple of times. I was just going to say, by the way, plus 900. Plus 900? It's great yeah, I value. I think that's worth it. Nine to one? Yeah, yeah that's great value. <laughs> um, let's talk about Wake Forest. Um, first time in seven years that a team not named Clemson won the division, uh, and then they lost a, a, a really fun um, game, at least the first half. This Remember the uh, – the fake slide from Kenny Pickett. Yeah. That was in the game against Wake Forest. Um, now, look, the the strength of this team lies on the arm of Sam Hartman, right? Sam Hartman is more than likely not going to be playing this year, uh, which is a huge disappointment for anybody who – because he's a really fun quarterback to play. And Dave Clawson's a fantastic head coach. The job they did last year averaged 41 points per game. Um, they had 2,000 yard receivers and Jaquari Robinson, um, but, uh, and, and, uh, AT Perry, but Jaquari Robinson is gone. He's now in the NFL. Um, Sam Hartman had to leave the team earlier in the middle of camp due to a non football medical condition. They have not disclosed what that is. Um, he had, he said there's something that happened at a practice and then he went and got tested and then, uh, he went and talked to the team and uh, he will not be playing for the foreseeable future was the term terminology that Dave Clawson and uh, this Wake Forest team shared. Um, just a real bummer from a kid and a team that was honestly one of the best stories in college football last year. And they go from being a team that you're like, all right, they went out, they did some good stuff in the uh, transfer portal. Um, they still have a couple of really good wide receivers. They returned four of their five starting offensive linemen um, and the defense was the biggest concern, but the defense was young last year. And honestly, they're bringing back a lot of the same guys. Um, it's just, it's a bummer because I think Wake Forest, I would probably have them in that like nine win territory if Sam Hartman had was playing. Um, but because that, you know, he's not, um, and honestly, we don't know if we're going to see him at all this year it's hard to look at Wake Forest and think that they're going to be an eight or nine win team. I agree. I mean, they, they just, they were in so many shootouts last year. Right. And like, I think the hard part is that it's without your star quarterback, it's going to be really hard. I mean, when we talk about what they did last year, let me throw out some point totals. Well, I mean, opening week, 66 points, Campbell. So maybe don't count it. 42, 41, 35, 37, 37, 40 70 against army army scored 56 against them though this is what i'm talking about they lost to unc by three it was a four, 58 to 55 game they had that game to had no defense I, I remember that game that game had zero defense <laughs> yeah so so they beat unc but it was a 45 to 42 game so again to your point the defense has been terrible without their their quarterback i don't think they keep up i think it's gonna be a really big fall for them unfortunately um, and, and, you know, that's my sister's alma mater. I, I actually like going to that school. It's a small school um, down in North Carolina. And, and I just think that, listen, it's, it was a great year you had last year. I just, I don't see it happening again, especially with what's going on. And, and you know, hopefully he's all healthy for life purposes, but on the football yeah. field, 
I just don't see it. I, I, I think, I mean, I don't know what their over under is, but I, I don't even know if they're going to hit 500 this year. So before Sam Hartman was hurt, they were at eight and a half, which is right around where I thought they would be. Uh, yeah. If you go on to FanDuel or if you, yeah, if you go on to FanDuel right now, there you cannot get it. They took their odds off the board. Yeah. My guess would be like five and a half is going to be there. I mean, it's just hard to know, right? I mean, we yeah, don't, yeah. you don't know anything. Um, right. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to, to set a line for things like that when you just have no idea who the starting quarter is. It's, it's similar, but also very different than like the Deshaun Watson thing where you're just like, I, I don't know. Like when we didn't know how many games Deshaun Watson was going to be suspended. You're like, I, I, have, I have no idea how many games is Deshaun Watson even going to play this year. Then he suspended five and then it's like, all right, no, now actually it's 11. And you realize, all right, well, yeah, the Cleveland win total is not going to be the 10 wins or whatever it was initially. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's a shame because I do think they would have had a, a decent run. Um, I, I mean, we can't, you know, unfortunately we can't pick it, but I, I think you're, you're about right there. I think somewhere in that five, um, to six wins, they have to go, they're home against Liberty. Um, they go at Vanderbilt, which I am sad that this happens on a year when Wake Forest is going to be good because when Wake Forest was terrible and Vanderbilt was terrible, I have this theory that the team that wears black and gold in every conference is like the universally like worst team in the conference, <laughs> like Vanderbilt's the worst. Uh, then you have, uh, obviously wake forest for a long time was worse. Colorado's always been like one of the worst teams. Um, Purdue doesn't count as much because Purdue has been Anymore, decent but for a yeah. while, but for I a mean, long time, Purdue was that years? way. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's not a black and gold team in the, uh, in the big 12, but, um, yeah. And they're, they're home against army, which, you know, army always gives people fits. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, they have to go to NC state. It's just at Florida state. It's it's not a super easy schedule. If they had Sam Hartman, I would say I think eight to nine wins is dead on. But yeah, without Hartman, this team's just it's crazy. You know, we talk about how important the quarterback position is, but this is one where it's like, yeah, like it's very apparent just how important it is. Um, let's talk about the Seminoles. Florida State, they are in a okay. massive spot here. OK, this is year number three for Mike Norvell. Um, they went five and seven last year, which was a marginal improvement from where they were the year before. Uh, Jordan Travis, there is no quarterback battle this year, so we're going to have him come back. He improved last year, and I think he'll be one of the best quarterbacks in the conference as a whole. He's so ridiculously athletic. He's got a great arm. Um, they also brought in some great guys in the portal, Micah Pittman, Johnny Wilson, and if Winston Wright is, ends up staying healthy, that wide receiver room should go from being one of the worst in college football, at least in the power fives, to one of the more competitive ones here in the ACC. Um, the defense, however, is another story because the defense jumped up significantly from his first year to last year, right? Um, in 2020, they gave up 6.5 yards per play and 36 points per game. Uh, and last year they jumped up to 26 and a half points per game and 5.2 yards per play. So that is a significant jump uh, and helps a lot. They do lose obviously Jermaine Johnson, who was a first round pick in the draft this past year and Keir Thomas, who also ends up leaving. Um, I am, uh, I'm very curious to see how this team ends up big you know coming out because Mike Norvell has been on the hot seat a few different times um yeah. similar to kind of Brian Harson there's been a hive of people in the Florida State world who really really want Mike Norvell gone or weren't happy with the hire weren't happy with bringing him in um and it was very early on in the, in the process too and they're like still paying off the uh 
Oh, who was the, the, the head coach who was there who left and went to Oregon Old Oregon guy. Yeah. Um, the oh. guy who came in after Jimbo. Oh, why am I blanking on his name? We'll oh, get Zach. Uh, we'll get Zach Park on it and Zach it'll, Park it'll hit me in a second. Um, but this is a team that really needs to make a jump, right? I've had this theory for a while. It takes three years minimum as the head coach of a team to show your recruiting, right? Um, you have a few years and this is kind of the first one, but with the transfer portal and everything now, like, there's no excuses. You're Florida State. You know, you're a huge program. You're one of the best and most traditional uh, programs in all of college football. You can't be five and seven. You can't have back-to-back losing seasons, and or, you know, you really shouldn't. Did we figure out the name? No. Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart. I knew right? it was so and, funny. I was going to say at, Will something. He's at FAU now. Yeah. He went from Oregon to Florida State to FAU. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he, he just took I mean, the fan. amount of money, dude, the amount of money that dude has gotten in buyouts. Holy shit. Willie yeah. Taggart is fucking loaded. Um, I love, I like Florida State. My roommate is a diehard Florida State fan. And so I do tend to root for them. But, and, and the nice thing too, from a program perspective, like a bird's eye view is like Bobby Bowden ran Florida State like a mom and pop shop. You know, like they, it was, it was the three F's, right? Faith, family, and football, right? Those are the big things. And it was this very wholesome thing. And Florida State fans want to hold on to it so, so hard. And they wanted to for so long. And by the time Jimbo took over for Bobby Bowden, you all, we've also seen how good of a coach Jimbo is, right? We, they got very lucky in that they went from Bobby Bowden to Jimbo Fisher. But since then, they've realized, hey, you know, they were trying to compete with this Bobby Bowden philosophy, without having the pieces or the right person in order to do it. And even more than that, you cannot run a college football program the way that Bobby Bowden used to back in the day where the facilities are crap. And it's not about that. You know, it's not about only wins and losses. It's about becoming a man and all the, you know, hoity toity shit that people end up trying to throw out to make it seem better. That's not how, that's not what works in college football. You know, these high school recruits get dazzled by unbelievable locker rooms and facilities and stadiums and, and, Florida State hasn't had any of that, and they're in the middle of upgrading all their facilities for millions and millions of dollars worth of upgrades. So they're on the right track. But in order for Mike Norvell to ever see legitimate success, they need to be at least seven and five this year, I think. And I think they actually yeah. have a team. I think that's a realistic win total for them. I think so, too. I think, I think that's probably about where I'd put them. Maybe, you know, maybe eight and four if they have a good season. But – I think the key there is, is to your point, they got to get back to on their team, Florida state. And if you follow recruiting over the past decade or two, um, it's really strange. They have zero five-star recruits and you got to understand where they recruit and where they're from. That's rare because I mean, Deion Sanders went there, like just after he goes there, the, the amount of Fred Bolitnikoff with the awards named after went there. Like they have Charlie Ward. I mean, yeah, there's a, there. there's a million yeah. guys, Jameis, and, right? Yeah. And so like they have highs winners, they, they were relevant in, in our era of growing up and, and just to see the fall um, it's really hard to see. Uh, but to your point, they just got to get a few of these guys, the local folks, it's hard when you're recruiting against Florida's in the sec and some of the other teams down there, but you got to get it done Miami. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough, but Florida state's one of these programs that if they can get back up, that's kind of, you know, I guess, do you think they fall into the category of like sleeping giant? Are they sleeping yet? Or are they like, I they're, they're in that conversation um, because of the tradition, 
Uh, and the fact that they won it in 2013, like it's not that long ago, you know, it's been, it's it's almost a decade since Jameis and them and they won there in, in Tallahassee, but that's an interesting, they're in that conversation that we talked about opening up this, this pod, like they're in that conversation of teams that should be in a, a, a two super conference college football world, you know, like Florida state, absolutely 100% has to be one of the teams that are in that, that super conference. Um, but they've gone on such a, I mean, Willie Taggart decimated that team and Norvell took over a dumpster fire. And I like Mike Norvell a lot. Like I do too. Him coming to a pretty good job when he was at Memphis, but the job he did at Memphis was so impressive. And I think they have a chance to be pretty good this year. Their schedule is a little tough. They have to go to Baton Rouge and take on LSU um, and then they obviously close that this year. It's home against Florida. So they get two SEC schools on their on their roster, on their schedule, but both are winnable games, I think. Um, and then they also have Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, who, yes, they just lost Billy Napier, but that's a really good program in a group of five level, too, and yeah. one that you can't sleep on. Uh, other than that, they get, they're home against Duquesne, and then um, they get a pretty good draw. They get NC State and Clemson. They do have to take Miami. Miami's going to be the tough one where they're getting them across division there. Um, but everything else seems relatively winnable here for, for Florida State. Uh, right now, I'm pulling up their win total. Uh, I have them over under six and a half, according to FanDuel. Which to me seems a little low, but. That, that's like you said, I think the schedule, when you start looking at it, you're like, man, that is tough. Um, it's a tough schedule. I'm going to go under. I'm going to say six wins, and and I think they they jumped the hurdle. They were five and seven last year. I think they they get to that point where they're not a losing team, losing record, and hopefully they get to a bowl game and maybe they even win and go seven and five. Right, that's yeah. my hope. So so you know what, I'll go over with a bowl win. That's what I'm going to say. I I just looking at the schedule. I think Louisville's a win. I think Boston College is a win. I think Wake Forest without Sam Hartman is a win. Georgia Tech is a win. Uh, Syracuse is a win. Louisiana. And then they just need to pull off. Oh, and then Duquesne at the top of the season two. That gets you to seven. Um, And that's if they were to lose the LSU game, the NC State, the Clemson, the Miami, and the Florida game. And I don't think they lose all five of those games. So I like this team at seven or eight wins. I'm going to take the over. Um, I might be a little more bullish on Florida State than others, but, you know, I don't know. I just – I believe in in Mike Norvell. Uh, All right, we got three more schools here in the Atlantic Division. Boston College, Louisville, and Syracuse. Now, Syracuse, I think, is the bottom of this of, yeah. of this set here. Um, and then Louisville, back-to-back losing seasons, 10 and 14 over the last two years. Uh, Scott Satterfield is absolutely on the hot seat, but they do have uh, a fun quarterback, Malik Cunningham, who is the closest thing they've had to a, you know, a good quarterback since um, Lamar Jackson. He was pretty freaking awesome, dude. I mean, 322.6 total yards per game. Uh, that is insane from a quarterback yeah. and led all wide or led all quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, but they did lose their top three wide receivers. Um, they brought in a couple guys, one from Central Arkansas and then D. Wiggins from Miami. Um, they also have a tight end who is projected to be one of the better tight ends in the ACC. Not feeling great about Louisville. Not feeling great about Syracuse, but Boston College is the interesting one here because uh, Jeff Halfley, who 
you know from his Ohio State days, um, really, really good coach. Boston College went six and five in 2020 in the shortened season, and people were kind of like, oh, you know what? Maybe this Boston College team's going to be pretty good. They started off pretty hot until Phil Djokovic uh, ended up getting hurt right, and missed significant time. In the four games he missed at the, in the end of the season, they scored 40 points in the four ACC games that uh, he was out. So bringing him back as a senior, um, that helps a lot. They lost their great tight end. But Zay Flowers is one of my favorite players in, in the ACC, one of my favorite players in college football. Um, he was like one of the top most recruited transfer portal guys as a wide receiver this past year. And he refused to leave because he felt, you know, the bit that Boston College is like where he was meant to be. And he was there's a great interview he did talking about just how thankful he was. And, you know, he was like the youngest of seven kids and his family living in poverty. And then what they were able to do with NIL stuff, he's actually been able to send money back. And it's just a really, really That's great awesome. story. And I like that he's there. I like Jeff Halfley. I think Boston College is definitely the best of the of these last three teams. Um, I, I agree think, with you. And I, they also I think they're going to be just, pretty good. I think so too. Last year they had the number 28 defense in the entire country. When you, and, and when you're talking about some of the teams they had to play, you know, they allowed about 340 yards a game. That's pretty damn good considering, you know, Louisville's over 400 to your point on, on some of these other teams that we're talking about here. I mean, I think that they have a chance when you have a good quarterback who's not going to turn the ball over in a good defense, I'll take them over the other two. I know our boy Scott is high on Louisville, and I know they have some excitement, but that defense on the pass side is just atrocious, and they, yeah. they've given up so many passing yards. So if a team's down, I just they're always in it because they can just sling it. So to me, I, I want to take the good defense and, and the experienced quarterback and take Boston College out of those three as well. Yeah, I, they have right now I see them at six and a half wins right now. Um, that's a good line. I'll, you know, what? I'll take the over. I believe in those guys. Uh, the schedule's not impossible to do that. They're home against Rutgers to start off the season. That's a sneaky kind of fun week one matchup. Uh, yeah. and then they go at Virginia tech. They get Maine at home, who <clears throat> is a CAA team that JMU used to play all the time, a good program, but not worried about Boston college losing to Maine. Uh, they get UConn. Um, they get Duke as a cross rival a, a divisional rival here um and then they do have to go at notre dame uh towards the end of the season but if they beat louisville which i think they can if they beat wake forest which i think they can syracuse duke wake forest louisville maine Rutgers, that's six wins right there six and a half they only got to steal one more i think that's definitely doable so i like boston college on the over there as well uh, and we can quickly do the last uh, two over-unders, Louisville right now is also at six and a half. So they're kind of in that same, you know, this this little group here where you like don't really know um, what's going on now. The one fun thing about Louisville, they play JMU this year. Hey, so right. I get, you know, we get our first test of a, of a group of five or of a power five team as a group of five member, which will be I fun. Like um, JMU Louisville should be. Uh, not much of a contest, but Louisville also has to go at UCF and at Kentucky. And those are two really tough out-of-conference games. Uh, six and a half wins. I don't see it. I think if Malik Cunningham stays around for another year, I think he's gone because I think Scott Satterfield more than likely gets fired at the end of the year. And I think the same thing for Syracuse. And I think, which is interesting. We can get to them in a second. So, over under six and a half for Louisville. No, I'm going under. I'm with you. Then what, what is Syracuse at? 
So Syracuse is over over unders at five right now. And they were um, five and seven last year. So yeah. that's a pretty good line. You know, the real question is, do you think they improved or, or didn't from last year? And that's tough. So what's interesting about this team is I don't think they've improved much at all. Um, they do have one of the best running backs in the country in Sean Tucker. He had almost 1,500 yards last year on the ground. Um, they have a new play caller, Garrett Schrader, who was their running or their quarterback last year had like 780 rushing yards and like 14 touchdowns. So like, is a is a good player. Um, Mm -hmm. But Dino Babers, other than the one year where they were kind of flirting around where they, I think they beat Clemson or they almost beat Clemson. They just have this act. This stats shocked me. Dino Babers has won just two or fewer ACC games in five of his six seasons. Yeah, that's, that's and like I like Dino. Thing. Dino Babers is like universally liked in college football, yeah. but that sh- he's won two or fewer ACC conference games in five of his six seasons. And I know Syracuse isn't some like you know long term history wise. They're a huge name in college football. Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, like they've been around forever. Um, but this is like. That's bad production, man. And the one year that they did was the year that they won, I think, nine games or 10 games and like were a top 25 team. But, and I know they love Dino Babers up there. And I know with the COVID year, they were really bad in 2020. And I know last year they weren't great, but you'd have to think the seat is pretty hot here for for Dino Babers. And I don't think he's got a team that's going to, you know, contest all that well. No, and, and to be, you know, quite frank here, and doing the research with Syracuse, I didn't see anything that popped off that I was like really excited about, especially when you talk about, you know, the, the thing about them is they have some consistency. Um, but, but when you're talking again about, to me, when you're talking about going from gaining wins as a, as a lower tier team, which they were right. Five wins is lower tier two mm-hmm. wins in the ACC to your point. When you start looking at that and, and what you need to do, you, I look at the, the lines, offense and defensive line. Now, the only thing that jumps out to me is the fact that, like, <clears throat> they have um, – let me find it here because I believe they were a surprising team in the fact that they had yeah, the 19th best defense in college football last year. But the offense just couldn't even compete with that. Like, no. when you have a great defense – and the reason why you usually have a great defense like that, and I'll tell you right now, they didn't give up that many pass yards because most teams just ran it down their throat when they were up. Yeah. And, and when you're giving up 330 yards a game, which is pretty good, top 20, you know, that's better than Michigan. And Michigan won the Big Ten last year. But yeah. you need the offense to compete with it. I don't think they have it. I am, though, I'm going to hit the over on, on whatever that, that five wins because I think that Hopefully they have enough on the defensive side to stick around and they make, they make some plays on offense. Let's I'm, I think what I'm doing is, is to your point, I like him. I hope he's not going to get fired and I'm hoping that he somehow gets six and six and makes, yeah, that's my hope. I hope so too. Cause I do like Dino Babers. And I think this might be one of those situations where it's kind of like, we look at this a year from now and we're like, man, Dino Babers has won two or few ACC games in six out of his last seven seasons. You know, like, <laughs> like I think there's a good chance that, that ends up happening. Um, but I hope I like to your point. I hope I'm wrong. I'm taking the under on them for sure. Um, all right, before we take, we're going to get to the, uh, coastal here in a second and take a quick break. But before we do that, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Vito. Who are they? Alliance, Alliance accounting. accounting. There it is. 
Tax season is just like football season. It never really stops. And if you think it's hot out now, but we're waiting for football season to come back, only a few more days till that, though. I imagine the hot water you'll be in if you miss the October filing extension deadline. And whether you are a small to mid-sized business or an individual playing one-on-one with your income taxes, the trusted team at Alliance Accounting is here with reliable accounting solutions to get you across the goal line without missing any deadlines. I use Alliance myself, this podcast. We're all fans of Alliance. They're fantastic. They got a small team that is always available to help. And one of the things I love most about Alliance Accounting is the deep roster they provide. For both individuals and businesses, Alliance will accurately file your federal and state taxes for you, saving you time and money. And who doesn't love that? They will review your return thoroughly to check for all available deductions and credits to make sure you score the maximum refund you deserve. And they'll help you plan for your team's future with their detailed and personal analysis of your taxes and provide you solutions tailored to your needs. And it doesn't stop there. Alliance Accounting's Mm -hmm. roster will help you get through overtime with their thorough and trusted bookkeeping and business finance services. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the games this fall, knowing that Alliance Accounting has got you covered for all your tax needs. Visit their website at allianceaccounting.com. That's allianceaccountng.com, or find them on Instagram at alliance underscore accounting. Once again, that is allianceaccounting.com. A-L-L-I-A-N-C-A-C-C-T-N-G dot com or find them on their Instagram at Alliance Accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. All right, quick break. We're going to come back, hit the coastal, and then our picks for week zero. All that on the other side. All right, we're going to switch over to the coastal, the most unpredictable conference or division in college football. Last year of the, the coastal record, and I think the trend will continue one last time because I think it would be such a perfect way to end the divisions in the ACC. If the streak never dies, if a different team wins every year and then that way the record stands in perpetuity, like it just never changes. It's always going to be that way. And I think that would make it so fun. Uh, And I think the front runner right now has to be Miami. The U is the U back Vito is the U back. I'm throwing up the U. I, I think they are. I mean, it's not the Texas is back, folks, sound yeah. like, but it's it's Miami's on the climb. I think this Coastal is theirs to lose. They did a really, really good job in uh, the, the transfer portal. Obviously, the biggest change for Miami is bringing in Mario Cristobal. So mm-hmm. Miami, I think, will be good this year. I think they'll be better in the future um, because I think Mario Cristobal is an unbelievable – he's one of the best recruiters in college football – uh, he'll get those offensive linemen, especially all those Florida guys. He's going to do a fantastic job at recruiting them, especially and defensive linemen as well. He's obviously from there. This is home for him. Uh, I think it's a fantastic fit. And I'm really excited about, you know, Mario Cristobal's kind of whole stint there. They also bring back the guy who I would say is probably the best returning quarterback in the ACC. That is uh, Tyler Van Dyke. He was in his last six starts, last six starts of the season, because they had, uh, remember, they had, uh, oh, why am I blanking his name? They had the quarterback, uh, Derek uh, King, the quarterback who mm, transferred yes. from Houston. He ends up getting hurt after kind of getting rushed back. And then the last six games, they end up going with Tyler Van Dyke. Six games, 2,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, and three interceptions. I, it's yes. an unbelievable stretch there. They also bring in Josh Gaddis 
who uh, is the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator who we know from his time at Michigan and, and other places well, as well. Yeah, yeah, he, he was huge. If you're a Penn State fan like we are, he was that wide receivers coach who turned out like a lot of these guys recruit a lot of them. I mean, he, he went to Bama for a little bit. Mm-hmm. This guy, he, he is going to be a name. He's, I think, next going to be a head coach somewhere. And to your point, a guy who constantly brought in five stars, even to Penn State and to Bama and to Michigan. I agree. Um, the only real concern on the offense is going to be the wide receiver position. Um, they lost their top two wide receivers last year, uh, Mike Harley and Charleston Rambo. Um, but they, again, they brought in some guys from the transfer portal and they recruited a couple as well. So we'll see if they're able to piece together some, some guys there. Um, they also have one of the best offensive linemen in college football in Zion Nelson. So there's a lot of talent on the offense. And again, Josh Gaddis is going to take that and run with it. Mark Cristobal is going to get the offensive, the big uglies up front. He's going to get them tuned up. They bring back three of their starting five, uh, offensive linemen from last year, including Zion Nelson. So they have a ton of talent there. The defense is going to be the big piece for them, and it's going to be the big separator as to whether they can be, you know, a top-tier defense in college football or a top-tier team in college football. If they can be a top-25 team, they can win the uh, the whole conference. It's going to lie on how they do on defense. Um, last year, they were really bad, 28.4 points per game. They couldn't mm-hmm. tackle. That game, at the, I think it was North Carolina they played, that was just like one of the craziest endings that I've ever seen. And Tyler Van Dyke almost ended up making it happen there in the final seconds. Um, they do have two decent um, uh, guys in the uh, secondary, uh, Tyreek Stevenson, who's one of their starting corners. Uh, and they mm-hmm. bring back a pair of really good uh, safeties in James Williams and Cameron, uh, Cameron Kitchens. Um, I, I so, just want to say I love James Williams. He's 6'5". He's a five-star guy. Um, and they also have a, and he's a sophomore and same with this other five-star guy, the defense lineman, Leonard Taylor, to your point, they need to develop here. They need to make that next step, but man, a six, five safety, yeah. like just talk about drooling as a defensive coordinator. Oh, it's the, it's the most fun to, especially a guy who can run and move around a little bit like he can. Uh, they also brought in a couple of transfers on the D line. So I actually think they might be better on the defensive front. Linebacker is going to be a huge hole for them. They were bad there last year. They are expected to not be great there this year. But if you have a good front four and a, and a solid secondary, which they're shaping up to have, you can negate some of the stuff, some of the linebacker play. It's one of the things we've learned, especially in modern college football. If you can generate a pass rush, you can get after the quarterback, um, and you can create some of those coverage sacks on the back end, then you know, you, you'll be able to compete. And I think the offense will be really, really good. Um, Especially, I love, I just love Tyler Van Dyke. I just think he's an absolute monster. Um, mm-hmm. He's like 6'5". He's got a cannon of an arm. Um, he's got some some of that like quiet swag to him, you know, where he's not like a super rah-rah guy all the time, but he just kind of comes in and makes plays. And if he, I mean, obviously, if, if he were to be on the same trajectory that he did through the six starts that he had at the end of the season, that means he would have thrown for 24, are 4,500 yards, 40 touchdowns, and six interceptions, which puts you in the conversation for the Heisman, um, <laughs> or at least like ACC player of the year. Seriously, so yeah. that's probably a slightly unrealistic, especially considering that we don't know a lot about what's going on with their wide receivers, but they still should be really competitive and they still should be really good. So I like Miami. I think Miami is going to win this division pretty comfortably. And as of right now, their over-under is only at eight and a half. I'm going to take the over and let me tell you about two guys. I'm excited to see on that offensive side, Michael Redding, the third and 
I think I'm saying this right, Jael Skinner. So these are two guys from the IMG Academy. So again, elite football program down there in, in Florida. They're a tight end who's six five and Jaleel Skinner and the wide receiver six two and Michael Redding the third. Both four-star guys at IMG, both true freshmen. Man, I'd love to see these guys on the on the field. And I think no matter who you put out there with Van Dyke, I think we're going to see an unbelievable season on the offensive side. The defense gets better. I, not only do I think they get over that, man, they they might have one loss. Like they might be in the playoff contention. They have I, a I'm tough. Really they have a tough schedule. Miami. They have a tough schedule. So they got to go to Texas A and M in week three, mm-hmm. um, and then the rest of it's pretty manageable. Um, they're out of conference other than Texas A&M are all walkover games. That should be pretty easy wins. Um, and then they have their conference schedule, conference schedule, UNC tech, Duke, UVA, uh, Florida state is obviously going to be another interesting game. And then they close with at Georgia tech, which should be a win, but then they have Clemson and then Pitt to close out the rest of the regular season, which Pitt right now is a top 25 team because they were a good team last year, but and we'll get to them in a second here. Pitt lost a lot. Uh, including, you know, Kenny Pickett, the only quarterback taken in the first round of the draft. So Pitt could end up being like a seven-win team. Like that's – especially with how the the Coastal runs. One team that wins it the fr- one year, they come back the next year and they're usually like a six- or seven-win team. Um, I think Miami's the clear-cut win here. I think nine to ten wins is realistic. Um, Clemson's obviously going to be a really tough matchup for them. But if they're able to pull off a win there and maybe they, they drop one to A&M, and they drop one to Clemson, I think they can win and probably should win every single game on the schedule. So I like nine to 10 wins for them. And I think eight and a half is way too low. So I'm taking the over on Miami. Um, and I think we're both in that, in that camp. Um, totally. Let's, let's go here. Cause I said to you in the break, I, I kind of want to bracket some of these teams together in yeah. the coastal because a lot of them are in similar situations. So uh, the second and third teams here in um, and which I'm, I'll say this, I think UVA is going to be a team that kind of could float around here too, but we'll get to them in a little bit. But these two teams, Pitt and North Carolina, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, both gone. You had longtime starting quarterbacks, good programs who had, you know, North Carolina had a very disappointing season last year for the expectations. Yeah. Remember, they came into the season as the number 10 team in the country last year. <laughs> and I, I think they finished six and seven after losing to South Carolina in the Mayo Bowl. So, that is a – it was a disappointing year for North Carolina, to say the least, but they had no defense yeah. and they had lost a bunch of stars on offense and Kenny Pickett was doing the most that he could without Deami Brown, without Javante Williams, without uh, Michael uh, – what was his name? Green? Was that the other running back that they had there uh, the year that they yeah. won like 10 games. So um, Pitt is going to be in, in a tough spot. We can start with them as the defending champs of the, uh, of the Coastal Division. Um, they lose the Belindikoff winner in Jordan Addison. Mm-hmm. And they also lose Kenny Pickett. So right away, you're down your starting quarterback who was in the high, was a finalist for the Heisman. And then you lose the Belindikoff winner who won the award for best wide receiver in college football. Um, the good news, they bring back all five starters on the offensive line. They have a nice little stable of running backs that they're going to be able to throw out there. Um, and they are going to have a new offensive coordinator in Frank Signetti Jr. Um, who I wonder if he's the brother of Kirk Signetti, who's the head coach of JMU. Maybe I got to look that up, um, but they did bring in for the quarterback position, Keaton Slovis, who was a really solid starter at USC before dealing with some injuries. He was there when JT Daniels and him were there. And then JT Daniels got hurt and tore his ACL. And then all of a sudden Keaton Slovis comes in they're throwing the ball all over the place and went on like a four game stretch. We're like, shit, is Keaton Slovis a stud? 
you know, and, and there were even talks that if Keaton Slovis had a big year at USC last year, that he could have been a first round pick last year because he was eligible for the Jeez. draft. Instead, he ends up transferring to Pitt. Obviously, we know what happened with USC with Lincoln Riley. So there was not going to be much of a uh, spot there. The defense brings back a bunch of their starters as well. I do think Pitt's going to be a good team. I think they'll probably finish as the second, maybe third best team in the Coastal. Um, and I probably have them around that seven and a half to eight and a half mark um, personally. And then you look at North Carolina, they have a little bit more to fill, um, but they also get more experience along the offensive line. The defense is has to be better just by regression to the mean. Um, and I really like Mac Brown as a head coach. I think last year they were in a spot where it's yeah. like, hey, Sam Howell, one of the better quarterbacks, could be a first-round pick. They had high expectations because they had won 10 games the year before in 2020. Um, but they ended up having a disappointing year. So um, which of these teams are you higher on? Uh, and, and what are the odds you think one of these guys could dethrone Miami? So I, I still think Miami wins, but the team I would say that has the better chance is Pitt. And I think it comes down to what you said about the lines. You know, football's going up front, and Carter Warren, the left tackle out of there at Pitt, is probably a first-round pick and a high first-round pick. Uh, I really like what they're doing there. Um, again, with that line in Arduzzi and, and coming back and, and um, seeing what's going to happen, that's hard for me to say as a Penn State fan, but I really believe in that team. I, I do. I think Javon McIntyre, the safety that they have, he's from Philly, really, really talented guy. Now, on the flip side, to your point, I love, I love Mac, and I think that I believe in him as a coach, but I think this comes from like, we grew up in the Texas days. Like he was the coach of Vince Young and that dynamic offensive line. That was sure. like one of the best offensive lines I've ever seen. So I just like believe in the guy. Yeah. But it's hard after these years, like last year with Sam Howell, we were like, man, it just didn't come together. And, and that's why I think that, yeah, Pitt's going to lose a lot of players, but at the same time, they've got some linebackers there like uh, Bengali, Kamara, and, and there's some other, you know, pieces there that yeah they're replacing cam bright and a couple other guys but i really believe in what Pitt has done as a program with narduzzi and what he's done there and uh you know i i think that they're the team that you you got to worry about out of those two what, what about you um i would lean more towards Pitt because i like i i know keaton slovis the two the two quarterback the quarterback battle at unc jacoby criswell uh criswell rather and drake may um I think Drake may won the job because uh, I saw Mac Brown announced it earlier this week. Um, okay. So I think it'll end up being Drake may he's a red shirt freshman. So it's going to be a younger guy. They do bring back um, a really good wide receiver. Josh downs had 101 receptions last year. Um, but again, he also had Sam Howell throwing to him, which helped a lot. And someone had to get all the targets and they were going to throw the ball a lot. But for me, it comes down to, I know Keaton Slovis. I think Keaton Slovis is a really solid quarterback. He's not as mobile as Kenny Pickett, but I think he's going to be able to do some of the same things. I love Pat Narduzzi, the head coach, and the offensive line. I mean, bringing back five starters of a yeah. good offensive line compared to bringing back two starters for UNC of one of the worst offenses of lines in college football. I mean, they gave up 49 sacks last year. Oh, my God. So, I'm with you. you guys got, um, and people people who, who are listening to that, like, this isn't an NFL season. This is 12 games. And so, 12, when you start yeah. 49 – Sacks, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, it's a lot to give up. Um, and Sam Howell was getting the absolute shit kicked out of him last year. Uh, and Vegas agrees with us because right now North Carolina is projected at seven and a half, and Pitt is scheduled or is predicted at eight and a half, same as 
on Miami. I think Pitt hits the over. I think they go nine and three, and I think Miami goes 10 and two, and I think that's how the rest of the division shakes out. And I think the big difference there is I think we'll have a big game uh, at the end of the season, second to last week, when it's Miami against Pitt. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, no, last game of the season, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, November 26th. We'll have bellies full of turkey, and we'll be sitting there looking at, hey, the winner of this this game will end up winning the division and going on to play for the uh, ACC title. So uh, I have the over on Pitt, and then for North Carolina, um, it's a it's a it's a not as tough of a schedule as Pitt. Um, luckily, they're out of state or out of conference games are are not as bad, but they do instead of having four non conference games. Uh, which I guess technically the fourth one is out of conference, but they do have Notre Dame on the schedule. So, uh, which is home for them, but F, uh, FAMU, I always forget what FAMU is, uh, App State, which is a tough game, and then Georgia State, which can be a tough game. So, not necessarily the easiest group of five matchups, and then you have Notre Dame. Um, they'll probably go three and one out of, that, out of that starting group, and then the rest of it, you know, you got Miami, you got Pitt, they have NC State on the schedule, which is a tough way to, to wrap up the season. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the over. I think North Carolina gets to eight wins. Okay, I think I'm, I'm I think the over for Pitt. I'm gonna take the over for Pitt and the under for UNC. And I think it's that it's the out of conference schedule. I think App State might might get that that upset. Um, which again, it's an upset now. This isn't the App State from back in Michigan, 2005 or whatever it was. This is a good App State program. Uh, and I I'm with you. I think the schedule's hard. I think that it, there's a game there that, that they're going to give. And uh, man, I, I hope for uh, I hope for coach over there that they can figure this out, but if they can do it with Sam, then I don't think they can do it with this, the rest of this team. I, I think that they're going to take a, another step um, back and, and really the win total. What, what was UNC win total? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah. They were six and seven last year. I don't, you know, maybe they get to seven and six with the bowl, but I, I just don't know. Um, if they're really going to go better than six and six in the regular season, or, or even if they go seven and five, I don't know if they're going to win their bowl. So I'm, I'm going to rarely take the under uh, and, and go ahead and do that with, with UNC. Interesting. All right. Well, there we have it. Uh, let's go to the next pair of teams here that I think are, are, uh, are close here. Start with Virginia tech and Virginia in the Commonwealth here, just a, about an hour and a half separate these two schools. We know they hate each other. It's one of the more underrated rivalries. I hate both teams, so it's easy for me. Yeah, uh, Bob Tech. <laughs> yeah, uh, both have new head coaches. Brent Pry, your guy, defensive coordinator yeah. from Penn State, now the head coach at Virginia Tech, and then Tony Elliott, as we mentioned earlier, the former offensive coordinator at you at uh, Clemson, is now the head coach at UVA. Um, it's going to be a really interesting year for both of these teams. Um, they did just announce that Grant Wells, the transfer from Marshall, will be the starting quarterback for Virginia Tech. Uh, meanwhile, we know UVA is bringing back one of my probably my second favorite quarterback in the ACC, Brennan Armstrong, who, again, another physical monster who can just throw the ball all over the place. Uh, they have a fantastic wide receiving core at UVA. Um, but the problem is, is both these teams, despite having some talent, um, they're kind of they're similar, but they're also kind of opposites. Like UVA's offense is going to be good. The defense is a complete no idea what's going to happen. Virginia Tech, the defense is going to be good. Virginia Tech's bringing back a ton of starters on their defense, uh, and as well as having a great defensive head coach. Um, but the offense is just a complete unknown. 
So whoever ends up improving on the other side of the ball more will be the one that I think ends up winning uh, or doing better. But I think fourth and fifth is pretty accurate as to where these teams will go. Other than I think there's a, there's a chance if Brennan Armstrong, especially with the wide receivers that they have and the offensive line, who's still going to be pretty solid. Um, oh, sorry. Actually, I had that backwards. Tech uh, Tech's offense is bringing back yeah. three starters. Virginia lost all five of their starters up front. Um but they did bring in a couple of uh, transfers there to, to try to fill in the, the offensive line. Um, yeah, no, fourth and fifth seems about right now. Um, I had that backwards on my notes. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I They're both in kind of transitional periods. Obviously, first year with the head coach, yeah. you just want to see growth. You know, you want to see that it looks different. It feels different. There's a different energy with the teams that are playing, the quarterback play. Um, I will say, I think UVA is going to be able to put up a lot of points just because – Armstrong is so good, and uh, that wide receiver room is insane. Keontae Thompson, one of my favorite players in college football, who's like the six foot seven, like tight end, uh, but they don't call him a tight end; they just call him like a weapon. Like on the roster, okay. his name is literally really? just like yeah, it's literally just like weapon. <laughs> That's kind of badass. I I, I love that. That's yeah. great. It's Cal Pitts yeah. affecting college, L- like <laughs> literally. But he's like huge. Like he could play defensive end. Like he's not. Like it's he's just a really interesting. He's kind of like weapon. when you would play pickup football with your friends and there was like one kid who was just bigger and faster and kind of stronger, but like he would line up at wide receiver and like there were other kids that were faster than him, but he was just so much bigger. Like he's just such a freak athletically. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any strong you throw the opinions? Ball up and it's like, damn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have any strong opinions here one way or the other on UVA or Virginia Tech? I think the only thing I think about tech uh, to your point, I uh, defensively, you know, I think they, they ranked 72 in defensive FEI, which measures the per possession scoring average, just, you know, new analytic high, higher level next gen stat, if you want to go there. But um, I, I really think that, you know, they got to get back to it. They were top 40 in that every year from 2007 to 2014 Brent prize, a defensive coordinator. I think that whole program, that fan base, wants to get back to that hard-nosed defensive football. And to your point, I, th- I think they want to take a step there. Now, if I have to lean anyway, I just I, I got to say I love Brent Pry. I love what this guy stands for. I think he could have been a head coach years ago. I think he was waiting for the right opportunity. I think Virginia Tech is it, and it'll fit with him. But this year I do believe that Virginia just has something different in terms of playmaking ability, like you said, in, in the weapon room and the wide receiver room and, and everything like that. So the weapon I, room. I, it's one yeah, guy yeah. in the weapon room. It's just him. Yeah, He doesn't even have a coach. He just watches tape by himself. Offense, defense, plug in where you want. But no, I I think they're probably going to take that step forward because in college you need to be able to score. And on Virginia Tech's side, I think defense will get better. Let's put it this way. If I'm crypto investing quick, I'm putting it in Virginia. If I'm, if I'm actually investing in stocks, I'm putting it in Virginia Tech, you know, to stay there there for a couple of years. That's That's a good analogy. Uh, Tech has West Virginia on the schedule, which could be a tough game. They also have at Liberty on the schedule. Um, but other than that, it's a pretty easy schedule for, for Tech. But I'm with you. I, I think the offense for uh, Tech is just completely just completely up in the air. Like, I just have no idea. Like, they defensively, I think they'll be solid. Offensively, they could be good. But, you know, Grant Wells was really good quarterback at Marshall, obviously good enough to get, you know, the call up to go to an ACC school. Um, and then I look at UVA schedule and UVA schedule is a lot more likable. I mean, the, the tough one being coastal Carolina, who I think is going to end up finishing the season as a top 25 team out of the Sun Belt. Um, 
But other than that, they go to Illinois and that's it. They're home against Richmond. They're at Illinois. They're home against ODU. Uh, and then the only, as of right now, the only ranked games on their schedule are home against Miami and home against Pitt. And if Brennan, and especially with how crazy this division can be and Tony Elliott knowing this conference as well as he does, I think Brendan Armstrong, I think they're going to put up a shitload of points and I think they're going to give up a shitload of points. And you know who did that last year and ended up playing in the conference championship game? Wake Forest. Yeah. Wake Forest was that to a T. Wake Forest gave up 35 points a game, but they scored 41. So if you score more than the other team, that's all that matters, right? And I think we're going to see something similar to that with this UVA team this year. Um, their win totals as of right now, Virginia Tech is at six and a half and UVA is at seven and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the under. I think UVA finishes at seven wins. Um, I think they will be a fun team that's in a lot of games. Uh, and even though I do think they'll put up a ton of points, the fact that they lose all of their starters on the offensive line this year, which maybe that's a good thing, you know, because their O-line was pretty bad last year and they couldn't really run the ball much. Um, but I think that's just, I and mean, we say it all the time, right? It's, it's one and loss. We, we fall in love with the skill guys and the quarterbacks, but games are one and loss on the trenches. And right now their trenches are a huge question mark. But seven wins is still a good first season um, for uh, for UVA with first season for Tony Elliott, and it would show some some growth there. No, I, I think for me on on the UVA side, I would take I would probably take. Man, I, I want to take the over, but yeah, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say eight with a can I, with a bowl. Are we including bowl? Like with a bowl win, I think they're they're over seven and a half. This is just eight. for regular season, so it would All be. Right, well, you know what? Then I'm going under. I'm going under on UVA, and uh, and I I think to your point, I'm on that seven win. You know, you know what? I'm going to go over anyway. Let's take the surprise. Of the ACC is UVA getting over, getting eight wins, which I don't know the last time they've done that. It's been a while, so uh, I'm I'm pretty high on UVA. And then on the tech side, well, so um, real quick what, though, what before, before, before we get to tech. I just yeah. looking at UVA schedule, they could realistically start off seven and up and then finish the season seven and five. It's Richmond, Illinois, ODU, Syracuse, Duke, Louisville, and Georgia Tech. Yeah, and then, those, the, and are, then those are all winnable. And then they close the season with Miami, UNC, Pitt, Coastal, and Tech. Are they going to be that team that's like number four in the country? And then all yeah, of a sudden, right? like, like, well, hold off. Like, <laughs> like, we could be at the end of October, like getting ready for their game against Miami, which is October 29th. So we could be at the end of October, and, and UVA could be like, a, like number 12 in the country. And we're gone. But then, and I can already hear the radio, the talk radio now, where they're like, yeah, but look at who they played. They haven't played anybody. And right. that'll be a totally what? valid point. But like, I could yeah. also still see it being, you know, somewhat realistic. Um, I think they'll probably be like six and one though. You know, I, Syracuse yeah. and Duke should both be wins. Richmond and ODU should both be wins. Georgia tech mm -hmm. should be a win. So it's either they drop one against Illinois or they drop one against Louisville and six and one is not an unrealistic start. And then coastal could very well be a win. Um, UNC could be a win. Uh, and then tech at the end of the year could be a win. So, you know what, maybe, maybe eight wins isn't out of the, isn't that crazy. Um, you know what? Fuck it. I'm changing my answer. I'm going to, I'm going to take UVA on the over. I think UVA hey, could at, actually fuck around. Us. Let's go. Big, um, big UVA fan here. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> all right. And Texas six and a half. Um, I think six wins, six and six seems pretty solid for them given where, where they're at as a, as a program, how much turnover they're going to have to have here after Justin Fuentes left. Um, 
that was the other thing too. Mendenhall and Fuentes both left on, on not great terms, which is kind of weird mm. because I mean, I know I knew, trust me, I know tech fans a lot, a lot. And I know UVA fans a lot and I hate tech fans in football more, but I hate UVA right. fans in basketball. <laughs> oh, excuse Bless me. You. Um, but six and a half wins. I like six wins. I think for this Virginia tech team, um, not an overly daunting schedule, like we said, but six wins, I mean, if Grant Wells comes in and he was really good at Marshall last year, if he comes in and is able to play and, and elevate the offense a little bit, who knows, right? I mean, West Virginia is a very winnable game, um, but they just have a tough cross matchups. Um, NC State is a tough game. Uh, and then obviously the UVA one at the end, Liberty, they don't have Malik Willis, but they can still be a fiery team. Um, I don't know. Where do, where do you see oh, it's over and under six and a half for Tech? <laughs> So I actually, I see under, and, and I think, again, it's more scheduled. They start off again, old, like, I think they, they, the first four game, I kind of bracket and force, like first four games, like the three and one, the lost being to West Virginia, maybe right. The next set, they, they have to play three ranked teams in that second set of four games. They they're at Pitt home against Miami and at UNC, uh, NC state. I'm sorry. I, I don't, you know, I think they're basically three and one, then one and three, they're even. And then to wrap it up, they have Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, Virginia. Um, and, and I think when you look at those teams, man, I, I don't know. You know. Hopefully they can beat out Duke, but I think they, they end up getting a couple wins there. I don't know if they're going to get to seven, but I think they're at least get to six. What was it, six and a half or was it? Six and a half. What was it? Six and a half, yeah. I'm going to say over because I like Brent Pry. And it's totally a homer bet, but you know what? I've, I've lost on worse. So I'm going to say over and say that they get to seven. All right. Well, let's wrap up here with the two bottom feeders here in the ACC as a whole, but definitely in the ACC Coastal, uh, Georgia Tech and Duke. Now, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at uh, to look at Georgia Tech's schedule, but my God, another one of the black and gold teams. Now they're navy and gold or whatever, but just if just if you're starting a college football team, just don't pick gold as a color. <laughs> just don't pick gold, and then I think you might be okay. Um, the problem is they all picked it when it was like Army was winning in like the 40s. You yeah. know what I mean? But Plus, Georgia Tech's was... been around forever. Yeah, same um, deal there. But let's take a look at this schedule, right? So they start okay. off the season at home against Clemson. Oh, jeez. Then they get West Carolina, which should be a win. Then it's mm-hmm. Ole Miss. Then it's <laughs> at UCF, at Pitt, Duke, UVA, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami, UNC. And then, of course, as they end every year, at Georgia. Yeah. I mean, they've, they, as of right now, they have two top five teams on their schedule, Clemson and Georgia. And that's just starting to finish. I mean, you don't want that. You don't want your bookends to be your hardest games. You want to get some, some things going there. So I, I agree with you. I think there's three winnable games, maybe. I mean, this team, they, I think they were, were they three and nine last year, I believe. Um, yeah, they're three and nine. They won two ACC games. I, I don't think they're going to improve on that, uh, to be honest. You know, it's always hard with Georgia Tech because you just never know what's going to happen each year. I, I still, and I know this is revisionist history, not revisionist history. This is just thinking way too far back. But when I think about Georgia Tech, I just want everyone out there listening to remember that as they're running a triple option offense, they had Demarius Thomas and Calvin, and Calvin Johnson, Johnson as receivers. So let's just remember that, like, you got to evaluate what you have and use it. And I don't think this, they, they fit not fit the, the system to the there is, but it better not be over five. Yeah. Uh, right now it's three and a half. Yeah. And I'm going to take the under, I'm going to take the under. It's, it's tough. And the thing is, I love Jeff Collins. Um, 
I've met him a couple times. Really great. Really just a guy who like brings energy. And I think he just bit off a little bit more than he could chew. Like, I think if he, if he, cause he would have been a candidate for a UVA or a tech. And I think he would have done really well there. It's so hard to be good at Georgia tech. And he did one of the best sell jobs of it. I've ever seen someone try to make it when, when we used to have him on, mm-hmm. but it's a hard, hard gig, man. And I just don't, I don't see them winning more than three games either. I mean, West Carolina should be a win. You can't even say UCF's a win. Duke, no, that probably should or might be a win. And then at that point, I don't, I mean, UVA, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami. Now they probably pull off one random upset on a random Saturday because that's what college football does. But to get the four wins for this team, I think is is wishful thinking. Uh, and that leaves us with Duke. Um, they have a new head coach now that uh, the Cutcliffe era is uh, is over. Um, Mike Elko, who was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M last year, um, they've gone ten and twenty five to finish off the last three seasons with David Cutcliffe, who had been there for a long, a long time. Um, this team averaged 15 points per game in ACC play last year. <laughs> well, they were 0-8 in ACC. Up it's yeah. just nuts. Like, um, it's... The one thing you can say is that they can't be much worse than they were last year. Um, you, you hope not. It'd be hard to, um, again, if you are a Duke fan, which if, if you're a Duke football fan, I'd love to talk to you because I don't think you exist. Um, well, I just want to point out to your point, they've won three games last year. And let me tell you who they beat. They lost to Charlotte, the team we were talking about earlier. Yeah. They, they ended up beating NCA&T, who they play almost every year. They beat Northwestern by a touchdown and they beat Kansas. Um, that's, that's it. They, they absolutely, they got, you know, for UVA beat them 48 to zero last year to your point on the offensive side, it's been bad. So yeah. yeah now luckily for them year, though, they do have Northwestern and Kansas on the schedule again this year. They have Northwestern Kansas and NCA and T who they barely lost to, but like, or they, they beat. So like, I think those are the three wins. I think they're basically like, Hey guys, we figured this out. Let's keep scheduling these other three teams. Well, they're actually not playing the, they're actually not playing the uh, North Carolina A&T this year. They have Temple week one. No, so but I, that, I think that's their third week. Right? Oh, wait, sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, like, they're home against Temple at Northwestern, <laughs> home against North Carolina A&T at Kansas. Uh, and then it's UVA, Tech, Georgia Tech, UNC, Miami, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Wake to, uh, to close out. Um, oh, it's just tough. But again, like if you, if you are a Duke fan, as I, as I was going to say, like the good news or the thing that you're looking for, at least is you're looking for just some sort of improvement, right? You're just looking for something that you see, Oh, it looks different this year. Um, and you know, Northwestern will be coming back from their trip. There might be a little jet lag still from their trip to, to Ireland. Uh, so maybe you can take advantage of that, but they go to Northwestern this year. They go to Kansas this year. Um, I, it doesn't look good. And their win total right now is at three. No hook, just three wins. So this team, I think what's what's strange about this, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeff, because you might be a little more in tune. As I was looking into this, Mike Elko is their new head coach. Mm-hmm. But he was brought in almost – you know, or he was brought in at the end of last year as to be their new head coach. And they had a pretty long standing head coach before this, but I, I think 
The only thing is like, can a new head coach jumpstart this team? I think that, listen, you're playing again, the three wins that we just talked about, maybe them getting are all against teams. They beat last year. It's hard to be a team twice in a row, revenge, all that stuff, especially A&T, especially Northwestern, Kansas, all out of conference. I don't know who they're going to beat in the ACC, but I bet you they beat someone, one team, please, God. And maybe, but I think, but I think the other thing is that you're not going to beat all those three teams. So to me, yeah, I don't three think and nine beat, again yeah. is, is a really reasonable record again. And to your point, I don't love this team. Um, recruiting is just not there. What is their over under? It's, it's three. And like, that is what the line is. It's, it's three, three. With, no, with no hook. So I, I look at this as I don't think they beat Northwestern or Kansas and we'll get to the big 12 next week, but I love Lance Leipold. And I think if you look at his whole career as a head coach and even what he got out of Kansas last year, um, I think, especially because remember they had the whole less miles thing and it was kind of a rushed off season. So this is really like Lance Leipold's first full off season, summer camp, everything getting mm-hmm. ready the season i think kansas is gonna be frisky at least um and i think northwestern's due for a bounce back year too so assuming they beat temple which i don't think is as you know i mean temple is not what they were when it was matt rule but you know right. they're, they're not like some dog shit program they've they've had success they're not a bad program um i think they probably beat temple and then nca and t should be a win the only way at that point that they do get get to at least push territory is if they beat Georgia Tech, which is at Tech, and that's going to be Jeff Collins fighting for his life. And I like what Georgia Tech has more so than Duke, who lost their starting quarterback and their starting wide receiver to the transfer portal last year. So it's going to be just a, a complete dumpster fire of a year unless Mike Elko comes in and, like like you said, kind of like jump starts it a little bit and at least shows that they fight. Like fight in your players and team is huge. And if you're playing football at Duke, God bless you. I'm going to take the under. I, I don't think they win a game in conference play. I think they beat Temple and NCAA and TA, and I think that's it. I'm going to say push because they beat Georgia Tech, and I'm going to offer you something, Jeff. Okay. And I know I still owe you and Scotty a golf round, which, trust me, I, I, I know. But let's bet $5. Just something simple. You know what? Let's bet Let's bet 10 We're going crazy. Let, no. Why not? Oh, let the hair down. Easy there. All right, let's put ten dollars. I'll bet that they beat Georgia Tech. Do you want to bet on like literally two, three, and nine teams playing each other? Mid-year? I was just gonna like, say, like <laughs> of, the, of all of the preview stuff, we've not done a single bet for the NFL or for college. And the first side bet in the preseason stuff we're doing is for Duke and Georgia Tech. Let's let's do it up big because no one else is betting on these guys. Let's are we doing who's going to have more wins, Duke or Georgia Tech? Or are we going to say Go who just head. wins that game? That game. Do you want to bet me, Georgia sure. Tech versus Yeah, Duke? I'll take I'll take All the right. home team. Ten bucks. Let's do this. This will be hilarious. Uh, uh, why not? Let's let, let it up and, and and see what happens here. Oh, oh man, Lord. that's hilarious. Lord have mercy. All right. <laughs> Uh, let's take a quick That's break. That's gonna be so disappointing. Like, do we meet side bets? He's gonna be like, oh, what you do? Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech, <laughs> Georgia Tech, and Duke in week seven of the uh, of the college football season, or week six of the college football season. Dear Lord. 
oh, football can't come fast enough. But luckily for us, it starts this weekend. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. And uh, real quick before we do that, though, we both have Miami winning the Coastal. I have Clemson winning the uh, the Atlantic. Who do you have winning the Atlantic? Oh, um, I have – you know what? I have I have Clemson as well ba- bouncing back. One win over UNC. I'm sorry. I had NC State. You had Clemson. I have NC I had Clemson. St- I have NC State beating Miami, and I think NC State makes a run or at least a push to win uh, to make it to the college football playoff. I got the U. I got Miami making a run, winning the ACC. And you know what? I would love to see them beat Clemson and, and make a run here. And I just – I love the U, man. I, I And to be fair, I watched the 30 for 30, like the two of them about the U. Like oh, yeah. Last so week, good. So, so good. Sorry. So you're, you're, a little, you're a little biased. All right. Quick, quick break. We're going to pick our games here for week zero on the other side. So read option. Be back here in a second. Week zero is this weekend, and I'm so excited. We are going to pick first picks of the season. Sorry, Scott, you're not here. You're going to be behind the eight ball. Um, last year, I missed a couple of weeks. We had a couple of weeks around the holidays that we didn't do pods. We didn't get picks in. I'm committing to you now, everybody listening to the pod. We are going to do picks. At least I will be here for picks every single week. We're going to do five college football games a week, just like we did last year, maybe six depending on how the matchups fall out. Usually we try mm-hmm. to stick the top 25 matchups uh, or just matchups we really liked. And every single NFL game will be picked on this podcast on Friday uh, before the game, or I guess Thursday, technically we'll pick them. Uh, but we're, I'm going to do every single one. I, it's a promise to me, to the people right now, Vito. There'll be weeks where you and Scotty, sometimes it'll be you, sometimes it'll be both of you, sometimes it'll be Scotty with me, sometimes it might just be me. But I promise you there will be picks every single Friday from now until february let's go six, we have months. six months of picks this is so beautiful I and just this. to remind everybody of how last year ended up uh Please. scotty finished 136 131 and one you finished 89 69 and one notice the how how many nice. less games Vito picks but still an unbelievable <laughs> winning percentage and I was the only one that didn't finish over 500, 162, 163, and one. It was a heartbreak. First of all, I love a push slash tie. Second of all, you picked so many. I picked like half the games that you did. And, and But can, can you tell the people, what was my college record? College, you went 30 and 12. Let me tell you guys what. If I just would have bet those games, my life would have been so much better. I didn't stop there. I bet so many games that we didn't pick. So this year I'm committing to you as well. I'm, I think I am only going to bet or I will track only these games separately. And I think mm. what I've learned last year is I just need to bet these games only. And I think I'm going to do well. I All don't right. know why, but let's see what happens. So let's see. Uh, I mean, you're coming in hot this week. I was, I was six games over 500 in, in college football, 43 and 37, which I was, it's a pretty solid record. The NFL, yeah. I had, I had a couple of rough weeks in there, but uh, yeah, let's get after it. Uh, we got three games we're going to pick. Starting off, Northwestern, sorry, Vanderbilt at Hawaii. Hawaii is a six and a half point favorite. Uh, look, Hawaii. A lot of people are going to trick themselves into this because it's you know you're going to Hawaii. Vanderbilt's traveling out there. You think of the you know the was it Colt Brennan or not Colt Brennan? The, yeah, just the, was it Colt yeah. Brennan who was the yeah, Hawaii who was the legendary out there? Yeah, yeah, the the Rainbow Warriors, right? Um, Hawaii has not been good in a while. Um, and I don't think that trend is going to change 
uh, anytime soon. I know it's Vanderbilt, but look, it's still an SEC team and you're getting a, a, a touchdown favorite, six and a half point favorite. I'm taking Vandy here to cover the six and a half year first pick of the 2022 football season. Mm. Well, let me tell you something. As a guy who travels a lot, going a time zone or two, that's, that's one thing, but going that far, a six hour time difference, I think will affect it. Now I'm hoping because it's an early game that in school, I believe has not started yet in Vanderbilt. So I believe they have the ability to go there and, and let some really, time adjust. Yeah. But I got to say, Hawaii yeah. at set, they, they just got to win by seven. I'm going to go with it. My Rainbow Warriors are going to come out with Covering the time the change spread. and take it. Cover, win by seven, and, and they're going to get it done. Um, I know Jay Cutler, the Vanderbilt grad who, who was drafted in my Broncos, will hate me. But you know what? I got to take the Rainbow Warriors. All right. Uh, next up, we have Wyoming at Illinois. Brett Bielema had a big week zero win last year against Nebraska. Uh, and right now they have uh, an interesting quarterback room, Tommy DeVito, the Syracuse transfer. Uh, they also have the, the kid who beat you guys. What was his name? Uh, Arthur. It was Arthur like Sidham or Sit. It was something, something like that. Something it had Sit in it, I remember, which was a funny name. Um, yeah. But uh, Tommy DeVito will be the starting quarterback for this team. Uh, look, Wyoming had a nice run when Josh Allen was there, but Josh Allen doesn't play quarterback for Wyoming anymore. And I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Wyoming. You know, we talk about a lot of sports here. I didn't have my Wyoming preview done yet this, uh, this off season. So I'm going to take Illinois 10 points, right? Two touchdowns. I think they, sh and it's at Illinois, uh, the town alone that Illinois actually had a pretty decent defense last year. I like the Illini. I do too. Another year with Brett Bielma. I think that guy, I mean, he knows the line game. He, he's, a, you know, I, I really believe it. Oh, we lost. Page. Oh, there it goes. Go ahead. Sorry. Your audio oh, cut out for a second. Uh, no, I, I, I believe in Brett Bielma, especially on the line play on the offensive side, run the ball. Well, you're going to be the team like Wyoming. I, I, I think they're going to get it done. I think they're going to score late to cover and make that happen for us. I'm on the same team as you. I think Illinois wins big. And that leaves us with our only Power 5 on Power 5 matchup, Northwestern Nebraska in Dublin, Ireland. I wonder – so I guess technically it's the same amount of travel as Vanderbilt has to have to go out to Hawaii. Six hours, Six right? Hours. So yeah. uh, this is going to be a really interesting, um, interesting matchup. Now, last year, Northwestern uh, got crushed by Nebraska, 56-7, to seven, which was uh, the one – Big 10 win that Nebraska had last year, but Adrian Martinez is no longer there. Uh, and instead, Casey Thompson, the quarterback transfer from Texas, is now the starting quarterback at Nebraska. 30 years ago, that would have been like the biggest story in sports. Um, <laughs> I feel, look, I'm a little bullish on Northwestern. I hate that this matchup's happening now because honestly, just I'm not 100% sure what, what to expect. I My gut feeling is that Northwestern is going to have a bounce back year this year. Um, but Nebraska, like they need to make some changes. Like they are, they are due. They just got the uh, offensive coordinator from um, Pitt, the guy who was Pitt's, uh, uh, Kenny Pickett's offensive coordinator last year is now the North, uh, offensive coordinator at Nebraska. I'm leading Nebraska to cover the 13. But for whatever reason, in my gut, it's saying Northwestern's going to keep this close. So I'm going to take Northwestern to cover, 
but I think Nebraska wins the game. And I think we're actually going to have a little bit of fireworks here in the first week with a close game. I'm going to take the points and take Northwestern. Man, this is tough for me because I agree. I, I think we both think Nebraska is winning this game. 13 and a half is a lot in the big 10. It's a lot, especially yeah. again for, for two. I know Nebraska is a technically, you know, a 2010 addition to the big 12. Like whenever we. team and it's really hard when you have these kind of games go against or these time teams go against each other because it's really an impactful game a lot of good defense 13 and a half 13 is a lot to cover but i gotta go with nebraska i think these Ooh. guys are going to get it done scott frost is is on the hot seat and i think his players this last year in this system they're finally going to pull it out Maybe we're watching too much hard knocks with Dan Campbell. Maybe I've been just ready for the season. Maybe it's because half the team that I work with on this, this skyscraper in Cleveland's from Nebraska, but we're taking Nebraska and we're going to hope that they cover in Ireland and come back chugging some Guinness all Saturday morning. I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know when kickoff is, but I feel like every time they play in Ireland, because it's again, six hours ahead, you end up drinking so early for these yeah. games. And I'm so excited for that. Um, I think it's, I think it's a four o'clock might be no it's actually now now that i say that i think that's wrong whatever it is it's yeah it's going to be on the earlier side we can we can pull it up if we want but um yeah. either way we're no one's going to miss this because it's the it's the first meaningful college you know football game of the whole season so everyone's going to be tuned in on saturday to watch this game i can't wait i'm excited to have football back this game does remind me a little bit of the illinois nebraska week zero game last year which i thought nebraska was going to win by a lot um, or at least that's what the line was. And I'm pretty sure I, I took Illinois on the, on the radio for it. So um, I don't know. I think this is going to be a close game. I think we're going to start off with some banks. Week zero is tough because you don't really, don't really know what to feel. So both teams can either come out really hot or come out really yeah. apprehensive. The other thing is that I, when you talk about coaches, I trust Pat Fitzgerald so much more. Um, it's an 11, a 1130 AM kickoff time for us. Ooh. Central time, 1230. I'm Eastern sorry for, for East coast. So it's 1230 so, um, Eastern. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like that makes sense. yeah. Anyway, it's on Fox. I'm excited for this one, but yeah, 13 they have like noise ordinance. That's a lot of, points. they have like noise ordinance rules at the stadium that they're playing in, in Dublin where there's like local people around it. So like soccer games and concerts and everything you have to like, there was literally, I think it was like a Springsteen concert or something. Um, or it might've been a Garth Brooks concert, but they literally had to like cancel one of the shows because the first night it was so loud that they ended up like the city had to come in and cancel it. So uh, that's probably I, I, the, why the, it's a five thirty kickoff there at local time. The only other thing I'm going to state right now is it's just kind of funny when you have a Northwestern versus Nebraska game where it's like, it literally says five thirty PM local, 11 30 a.m central because that's they're both in central they're both time. central and yeah i just don't like the fact that like it's usually eastern central and it's like no it's it's ireland central time that's the two we're gonna give you well i can but, tell you, you know, at 12 30 eastern time i will be sitting on the couch with a beverage in hand getting ready to watch football because this is the last podcast that we're gonna do until february that we don't get to talk about football on Mondays together. So I can't wait. Have a wonderful weekend, Vito. Shouts to Scotty. Have a wonderful rest of your vacation, bud. Uh, and thank you to everybody for listening. Football is back, as cliche as that phrase has become. I can't fucking wait. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you all on Tuesday. And take it easy, everybody. Peace.